It's good to be with you this morning. We'll be uh, back in the book of Jonah, picking up in chapter 2 and continuing on with this story of this servant of God that is so much like us. I pray that you've been challenged by these messages the last two weeks. If you've missed them, I really believe in what I've said in these sermons. And so I would encourage you to go to our website. We have these out there in audio form. And you could pick up on any sermon that you've missed. Uh, we've, we've had two in this series. And it, it, it would do you some good if you've not heard those to go back and hear them in light of what you'll hear this morning in this sermon. Let me just say one word about Wanda. Art and I went by this morning and visited with her, and it was so encouraging. Uh, Preston died real well. He died like a Christian, and he died with confidence that he knew where he was going. He was not bitter about his condition. Uh, In the hospital, he was resolved that he probably was not going to overcome this, and in fact, in some ways, we saw that he had given up the desire to fight. And he wanted the Lord to take him, and Wanda did as well. And Wanda had a smile on her face this morning with tears streaming down her face. That only happens in a Christian woman who said goodbye to a Christian husband. And she said, it's all over but for the shouting, and Preston gets the shouting part, and I'm going to have to wait, and one day I'll get to have the shouting part as well. So I want you all to be encouraged as we walk up to this funeral, and we're going to celebrate the life of a Christian man and a Christian marriage. And I hope y'all will love and encourage Wanda through this, as she has been uh, such a source of encouragement for many of us through many years here. So back to Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, we will pick up uh, actually in chapter 1, starting in verse 17. And I'd like to read the passage uh, all the way through to set the context for us, and then we'll talk through this, starting in Jonah 1, verse 17 through 2.10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground. Let's pray. Father, we open this word expecting to hear from you, needing to be confronted by you, needing to be encouraged by you. I pray, Father, that you would do that in these few minutes that we have together now. 
I pray, Father, that you would comfort the afflicted with this message. And I also pray, Father, that you would afflict the comfortable with this message so that we all leave here changed with our hearts riveted on you and your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If we recap Jonah real quickly, in Jonah chapter 1, we see that the word of the Lord came to him, told him to go to Nineveh, a very evil and wicked city, and to speak the truth to them. Nineveh was an evil city within the country of Assyria, arch nemesis of Israel. And the prophet, who had obeyed God in the past and been a useful tool of God in the past, on this occasion turns and bolts as far away as he possibly can from God. Runs down to Joppa, gets on a ship, and is heading for Tarshish, which perhaps is in modern-day Spain. We don't know exactly for sure, but... It does seem that he was going the exact opposite direction God called him to go, and he was going as far away from God as he possibly could. And God captures, God pursues a fugitive. And we looked last week at all the things that God did to cause havoc on this ship that carried Jonah and what God did through the disobedience of Jonah to get the attention of some pagan sailors. And now we see that Jonah has told these sailors to throw him off the boat. And the storm will subside, and lo and behold, it does. And so here, picking up in verse 17, we're going to see that Jonah absolutely bottoms out. He hits rock bottom, and he does it quickly. And that's a little different than normal life for all of us. For you see, I think that when we all run from God, it's a gradual process that happens over a long period of time. It's not so sudden like we see in Jonah's life. Most of the time when someone runs from God, it's that spiral descent that we've seen in Jonah's life, but it happens over many years. Let me give you four examples, very clear examples. These are very important examples to get your mind in tune with the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Take, for instance, number one, Marital unfaithfulness. A man or a woman is not unfaithful to his or her husband or wife in the spur of the moment. No. It's, it's slow and it's gradual and it's often the end result of years of wandering eyes. It's often the result of a lifetime devoted to pornography. It's often a result of years of failing to biblically reconcile with husband or wife and allowing this angst and this friction to just go on forever and ever. Then at the end is a husband or wife unfaithful to one another. It's it's not spur of the moment most of the time. Or consider a man who burns down his business, his failing business, because he wants to claim the insurance policy on it and escape from debt. That didn't, he didn't wake up that day and say, I'm going to go destroy my business and fake this fire so that I can get out of this. No, that's a result of years of finding his self-identity in his work. And his whole existence is justified by what happens in this business. It's, it's living a lifetime of working for money to fund a lavish lifestyle 
living with all these unnecessary toys in life that now he's in jeopardy of losing that would make him to do such a thing. It's living a life of self-centered pride and ego in the business world. That's what drives a man to do something that extreme at the end. How about a third example? A woman doesn't wake up one morning and decide just like that to have an abortion. Today's Sanctity of Life Sunday. No, it comes as a result of living in a culture that doesn't value life and having no biblical filter within her to filter all that societal influence out. And so it penetrates into her and she too doesn't value the life that's within her. It's a, it's a result of living a self-centered life that doesn't want to be interrupted or inconvenienced. And it's also a result of living a promiscuous lifestyle that doesn't value the God-ordained union between one man and one woman till death do they part. All those things over time build up to where there's a moment when the woman could do the unthinkable and take that of a human life within her. Last one. A nation does not legalize abortion in 1973 just like that. That's born out of years, of decades, of centuries of disobedience to God. In our case, you can look and you can see that there's this unbridled desire within our country's conscience to have wealth and prosperity and lavish luxury and sometimes we say children get in the way of that. We, we see this. This is the result of centuries of a total disregard for the personhood of a people from an African continent. From the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, we did not cherish those people's lives as such that they should be treated as humans, but we enslaved them. That's going to influence a decision in the Supreme Court in 1973. Can't escape it. And it also is a result of a total disregard for the civil rights of a race of people for some hundred years after slavery was abolished. When we don't value the lives of the living, how will we value the lives of those not yet born? So I want to show you this morning that when we find ourselves way far away from God, running and hiding from him, it's not necessarily like we see in Jonah's story where it happens pretty quick. It's a lifetime of buildup. And so we need to ask ourselves the question this morning, where are we? Are we in, living in this life where we're starting the downward spiral? And where is this going to end? And the call this morning is to turn immediately from your ways and turn back to God. You can avoid so much, so much heartache, so much carnage, if now you will hear this warning from Jonah and you'll turn and you'll repent of your ways and you'll clutch fast after the Lord. And how do we do this? We do this with the word of God. This is a precious gift from us. God gave us this. This in some instances is a bridle and a bit that we put on our heads and in our mouths and God steers us by this. But when we spit this bit out, we will run amok. We all know this. I personally can testify to you. When you neglect this Bible, you will run amok. And so we have here a scenario 
in life, in the life of Jonah, where he spit the bit, where he did not receive the word of God as good. He defied it, and it ended him. It sent him into the abyss to where we get Jonah chapter 2 as his prayer. So, the end result of a lifetime that is not devoted to reading and adhering to the word of God is going to be where we find Jonah and ourselves if we go down that path. And we cannot trivialize. We cannot trivialize our time in this word. So read it and memorize it. We're doing that as a congregation. Memorize the passages that we put on the website and read the readings for the week so that you will be quick to respond to the appeals of the Lord in your life. Let's pick up now in verse 17, and let's see what God does with Jonah in this story. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We've got to read Scripture slowly, because there's powerful, powerful words here before us, even in that one verse. The Lord appointed. Appointed. This fish is not a coincidence. This fish didn't just happen to be there at the right time and gobbled him up. God appointed this fish, and this fish obeyed its creator. And that's a common theme throughout this book of Jonah, isn't it? We have the winds that obey God and cause tumultuous seas. We have the seas that rear up in obedience to God. We even have pagan sailors who have been obedient to God and thrown this man over into the ocean. And yet we have a prophet of God, a Hebrew, one who fears the Lord, who is the one that's disobedient, who defies the spoken word of God. So nature and pagans do, but the chosen one, the Hebrew prophet, he doesn't. What a contrast. And I spoke to that issue this last week. May we never be Christians that proclaim the name of Christ, yet do not obey and follow the name of Christ. The church in America is too full of those kinds of people. May we not be known as a church like that. May we be known as people who are Christ professors and Christ followers. And when we're not following Christ, may any one of you come to me or me come to you and say, hey, come back here. You need to follow Christ and follow through with his word. You're defying what he's told you to do. That's why we have church. So I pray that you will be faithful and engaged in this congregation to call us to follow fast after this name that we profess. So we see here that everything and everyone obeyed God except this prophet. And we see that it takes him all the way down to the bottom. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine? Just, just stop for a moment and, and take this beyond the, the, the vacation Bible school coloring book story. <laughs> okay, go beyond that. For three days and three nights, a man is in the belly of a fish. How can it be? How can that be? There's no human explanation for it whatsoever. But this is not the focus of the book. And so we need to be careful. We need to think for a moment on it, but we don't need to obsess on it because that is not the point 
of this book of Jonah. In fact, this fish is only mentioned twice. In 117, when the fish swallows him, and in 210, when the fish vomits him up. That's all the fish is talked about, yet all we ever hear about is Jonah and the whale. Jonah and the whale. No, we need to hear about Jonah and God. This is a book about Jonah and God. The whale is such a trivial, minuscule issue in this whole book. So let's hold fast to that as we look through these, these next few verses. I want to ask you a question before we continue. Was the fish that we now encounter here in this book, was the fish God's further discipline, or was the fish God's hope and salvation? Yes, good answer. Um, ultimately, though, I'm going to say this is God's salvation. This is not necessarily God's discipline, this fish part, but it is tied to his disciplinary action against Jonah. At least briefly, we see here in this passage that Jonah was conscious while he's in the fish's belly. That while he's in there, he has the ability, believe it or not, to pray. Of all places to be praying from, I mean, consider the word, the Bible here. We, we have people praying in gardens. We have people praying in battle. We have people praying in caves. But here we have a man praying in the belly of a fish. Wow. Chapter 2 is exactly what Jonah prayed while in the belly of this fish. But I want you to see that Jonah realizes that this fish was provided by God to save him from drowning from the sea. So this fish is an instrument of salvation in Jonah's life. Not discipline. And during the period of consciousness, we're going to see that Jonah prays reflecting back on to what he prayed in his most darkest hour. So here's three things I want you to keep in mind as we look at this. Number one, keep in mind that when Jonah refers to the distress of the past, he is referring to the time that he spent in the water, not the time that he spent in the fish. When he prays, he's reflecting back on his call out to God for, in distress when he's in the water. Number two, the water is the threat of death. The fish is the refuge of salvation. So number three, the cry of distress is in past tense in the water. And the voice of confidence that Jonah has in thanksgiving is when he's in the fish in the present tense. So let's look at this prayer and see if we can see this flesh out. Starting in now chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So in this part of the prayer, Jonah is recapping what happened to him when he was in the water. And notice what he says. He says, you, Lord, cast me into the deep. Sailors did it, right? Back in chapter 1, the sailors obeyed Jonah's prophecy, threw him into the water. So here he says, God did it. Well, once again, we are seeing the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man or the agency of man. Man obeys God knowingly or not, but God is the one that had him cast into the seas. 
God is the one that threw him into the water, which is the ultimate of his discipline to get his attention, to take him all the way down to the bottom. God is the primary cause, and the sailors were the secondary cause here. And we also see that Jonah attributes these waves and these billows that passed over him as God's instruments of discipline. So Jonah here is very clear on God and his role in this and the sovereignty of God who sits on his throne in all circumstances that Jonah finds himself struggling through. Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple again. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. If you read this prayer alongside Psalm 18, you will think you're reading the very same words. David's prayer in Psalm 18 sounds exactly like what Jonah's praying right now. And so no doubt, Jonah lived at a time when David's words were available. And Jonah no doubt knew God's words. And guess what? He uses God's words to pray to God. Do you pray scripture when you pray to God? That's a, that's, a, that's a task that I would challenge you to be about. It's pretty simple. It sounds kind of confusing right now, but if you took and memorized this verse, you know, this week, our verse is, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you can recite that verse this week, you can then say, Father, help me not to be anxious. Father, I need this peace that surpasses all understanding. I need you to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Would you please do that? You see how I just prayed scripture? And I'm promising you, if you pray God's word to God, that's going to be a faithful prayer that, a, that God will answer. And so I want, to, I want to introduce to you, as we memorize these verses in these coming weeks, to pray these verses. Pray these verses as you memorize them. As you're driving down the highway with windshield time, pray it. And watch what God will do. He will give you that peace because he's promised it to you in Scripture, and you're here reciting it off a verse that you've memorized. And that's what Jonah does here. Jonah knows the words of David, and Jonah is reading this or is reciting these words, and it is his prayer to God as well, and it is fruitful and profitable for him. So this is the value of reading and studying God's word because the times of trouble are coming. And if in those times we can pray God's word, we will find solace. So watch now. Jonah is going to continue his prayer. He says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So Jonah acknowledges here that God answered his prayer. Now, Jonah did not pray for a fish to come get him and save him out of the water, did he? No, he, he prayed that God would save him, and here he's in the belly of the fish reciting the prayer that he said while he was in the water, and he realizes that God's answer was that he was going to raise him up from this pit through the belly of a fish. 
verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Have you ever reached the end of your um, self and come to the realization that salvation belongs to the Lord? You ever had a moment where you, you know that there's nothing that you can dream up, there's no action that you can take, that, that if you're going to be saved from the moment that you're in, it's going to belong to the Lord or it's just not going to happen at all. Have you ever, ever been there? And it doesn't count if you had the flu this last week. We're not talking about that. I tried it. Salvation is of the Lord. I mean, that, those words, when Jonah says it from the belly of a fish, have more meaning than when I say it on the flat of my back with the flu this last week. Do we really, really believe that our salvation is of the Lord and not of our own doing? Jonah realized that, and that's what he's telling us. In your darkest moment, when you've run as far away from God as you possibly can, and it's been built up over a lifetime, your only remedy is the Lord. And that's why I said last week, it's absolutely foolish when we run from God, because number one, we can't get away from him, right? It's impossible to hide from the Lord. But number two, it's absolutely stupid to run from the Lord, because he's our only source of solution for our problems. And this verse says it, salvation is of the Lord. So do not run from the Lord. You need salvation. Run to the Lord. And you run to him by praying like Jonah did in the belly of the fish. There's no plot you can dream up. There's no action you can take to usher in your own salvation. It's the work of God according to the plan of God within the time of God. Salvation truly is of the Lord. In verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So the fish's belly was not Jonah's prison or grave. No, it was his salvation. It was his method to be delivered from the depths of the ocean to the dry ground. God provided What we see in Jonah's prayer is that he clearly realized throughout his whole ordeal that his sovereign God was sitting on his throne reigning over every single minor circumstance and major circumstance in his life. From the belly of the fish, Jonah did not despair that God was not in control. He acknowledged it. And in your depths of of despair right now, if that's where you are, and if you're running from the Lord, and you think that he is out of sight, out of mind, believe Jonah. He's not. He's dialed into your situation, and he's all over it. And guess what? He's orchestrating it in such a way to call you back to him or to call you to him for the first time. So how often are we tempted to believe that in times of trouble, God is uninvolved, uninterested, or powerless to intervene? That's a lie from the enemy. We worship a God that is sovereign at all times and in all circumstances. I want to show you five things. They're going to go quick. Five things that we can learn from Jonah's prayer here. 
this morning. Number one, God saves us in spite of our guilt and his judgment against us. There's not a one person that is worthy on his own to be saved by God. Not a single person. In spite of us, and even when God pronounces judgment on us, he still hears our prayers and he still will save us if we cry out to him. But the enemy whispers in our ear something totally different, doesn't he? You know what I'm talking about? You know, when I've lived in unconfessed sin, the last thing I want to do is open this. Man, I'm running from this thing. The last thing I want to do is is be a hypocrite and pray. But that's the first thing God wants us to do is take his word, open it, read it, be convicted by it, and pray it to him, and he wants to forgive us. But the enemy would say, not so Not so. You can't pray to God. You're too sinful right now. You can't read God's word. You're not worthy of it right now. And he would accuse us of being hypocrites and discourage us from doing this. And actually what he's doing is he is seeking to sever us from our only source of help. But God wants you to pray to him in your deepest moment of guilt when you're experiencing his most profound judgment. He wants you to pray. He wanted Jonah to pray. Number two, God saves us from impossible circumstances. Impossible circumstances. Nothing is beyond our God. You cannot run so far away from him. You cannot hide from him in such a way that he cannot help you. And the enemy would have you to believe that God at some point is unable to rescue you from your circumstance. He would have you to believe that the carnage is so impactful and so widespread and the collateral damage is so much that this thing is beyond repair. And I'm going to promise you, you've never been in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the ocean. God can deliver you from the most impossible circumstances. And God wants you to pray to him in those impossible moments and trust him to deliver you from them. Number three. God saves us right on time. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. His life was fainting away, and at the right moment, God saved him. We don't pray and then give up because it didn't happen right then. We must keep praying. And when all hope seems lost and you've run out of time, God will still save you. Joseph's, Jonah's life was fainting away, and the Lord still saved him at the right time, at the end of his hope. And that's where God wants you to be praying, when you're at the very end of all your hope. Number four, God sometimes saves us in stages. How often do we pray that God would save us, and we end up in the belly of a fish? You think Jonah prayed, Lord, save me with a fish? No, he didn't. But in stages, God delivered him from the depths of the sea through the belly of a fish to dry ground. And so we need to trust God that he might be saving us through stages, bringing us up out of the depths gradually according to his will is perhaps a test in a way to glorify himself all the more. We cannot have an all or nothing attitude towards God when we ask him to deliver us. We need to ask him to deliver us in his way in his time and to his degrees. 
So God wants you to pray to him as you endure through stages of his salvation. And then last, the fifth point. There's something lacking from this prayer. When I, when I read this, I'm going, okay, I like that part and I like that part, but, but there's something severely lacking in Jonah's prayer. Have you thought about it? What is it? I don't see anywhere in this prayer repentance. I've scoured it, looked up and down, backwards and forwards, and I don't see any confession. I don't see where Jonah says, Lord, you called me to go to Nineveh, and I went to Tarshish. Would you forgive me for that disobedience? Would you restore me, and Lord, take me right now to Nineveh, and I want to fulfill your word to those people. That's not here in Jonah's prayer. What are we to do with that? I want to ask you, when, when you're in dire straits, in your deepest, darkest moment, and you bring yourself to the realization that you need to pray, do you pray like Jonah, saying, Lord, get me out of this bad deal, but you have no sense of responsibility for the sin that got you into it? Do you ask God to deliver you, but you don't ask God to forgive you? Do you expect your circumstances to turn without your heart being changed? We cannot go to God like this. And we're going to see where this rears its ugly head in Jonah's life in chapter 4. I think I'm on to something. This lack of repentance in chapter 2 is going to show itself in chapter 4. And I want to urge us to be a people that when we pray for God in our depths of despair... We have searched our hearts, and we've said, Lord, I've sinned against you. Would you forgive me of this? Jonah here doesn't say, God, deliver me from the fish, yet God delivered him from the fish. That doesn't mean that everything worked out so well. Jonah needed to be in a right standing with God, and I'm here to tell you that he is not yet right with God. God is still working on him, and you're still going to see God discipline him because this servant of God's has not repented of the sin in his life. And we can only be right with God when we have confessed and owned and repented of our sins that have taken us away from him. So where is the request for forgiveness? Where is the pledge to fulfill his calling? It is not here. So let's make sure that we learn from Jonah's prayer here this morning that repentance needs to be first and foremost. And again, I will, I will delay talking about that until we hit chapter 4 two weeks from today. And we'll see evidence of this lack of repentance rear its ugly head in his life. So with that, let me close. Is any one of you here this morning suffering the discipline of God because you have fled from God? You have run from God and you are far away from his will. James 5.13 says, If any one of you is suffering, let him pray. Now is the time to be alerted to the life of Jonah. Now is the time to be prompted in the depths of your moment to pray to this God who's waiting for you to pray, who's calling you to pray. Pray to him and repent of your sins and come back to him. And you will be benefited, yes, but God will be most glorified when you do that. Let's pray. Father, we...